Welcome, folks, to another episode of the Sliding Doors podcast. I'm Rohan, and uh, the other handsome gentleman on screen is Sushil, my podcast partner. And we have to warn you in advance: this episode is going to have a lot of tears, a lot of emotion, breakdowns. So please bear with us because we're going to talk so. about. Uh, <laughs> time will tell. I don't think tell. so. I don't think so. We're going to, okay, Sushil is going to be stoic and I'm going to be a blubbering mess because we're going to talk about uh, the emotions, our emotional experiences of this whole lockdown or as Sushil accurately pointed out, right now it's self-imposed lockdown because the country is slowly opening up. Um, and I thought, Sushil, let's, I, I, I've been wanting to ask you this for a long time. Mm-hmm. A while ago, when this whole migrant crisis started up, I remember you were going through, it affected you, right? It did. It did. How did it affect you? What, what, what did you go through at that it, point? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't just that. It was kind of um, um, the entire COVID crisis, um, ha- seeing people being affected across the world in Italy and France and all of that. Um, and then seeing these people who, who just basically starting to walk 700 kilometers, 1,000 kilometers with basically nothing at all, without money to buy food on the way, without food in their bags, without water, um, starting to walk home because their jobs have been, um, have just disappeared. And uh, the government hadn't put any, in place anything to make sure that they could stay where they were and still be able to feed themselves. So um, um, I was stuck. I mean, we were supposed to stay at home, not do anything. I was stuck, um, not unable to do anything. And, uh, you know, the, the twin issues of us having to stay at home, yet these people having to uh, possibly... Uh, face the coronavirus issues, as well as take it back to their villages if they were carrying it. All of that together was kind of a little difficult to handle. And uh, um, I didn't realize that I was stressed at that point. But it kind of uh, brought it to a head and um, I just, you know, emotions just overflowed. Um, yeah, and that at that time I had no control over what I was getting in terms of information and uh, what to do with it. What about you? Did you have uh, a emotional mess breakdown kind of thing happening? Or were you always Yeah, I cool? did. I definitely did. Uh, it was slightly different in that the issue for me was so I'd come back from, I, I live in Chennai and I had come back from Chennai to uh, my hometown, which is uh, Velu. Spelling has changed recently, officially. Uh, Because my dad, who is uh, a doctor as well as an epidemiologist, we in fact had him on uh, an earlier uh, episode of our show, our special COVID podcast uh, episode. So my dad had predicted that this lockdown was going to happen. This is when there was a possibility of COVID coming to, or coronavirus coming to uh, India. So I came back with him and I think the stress for me was that he was three weeks or a month ahead of the rest of the nation. So all my friends were saying, yeah, this is going to, I mean, and even the news was saying, this is slightly more uh, powerful than a cold. It's not that big a deal. It's Most people like recover. SARS, most probably not going to yeah. be a big deal in India anyway. Yes. So my dad had gone way past that already. He had predicted this is going to get really bad. They're going to be lockdowns. So he came and got me out of Chennai. So my anxiety was trying to reconcile these two worldviews. One where yeah. no one is panicking and the other where my dad is seriously looking to prepare for what is inevitable. And so my, I, I, I like what you said about you didn't realize you were stressed because it was the oh. same with me. Yeah, I didn't realize I was stressed until later when I started calming down. And then I was like, hey, wait, what am I calming down from? Uh, right. So yeah, yeah. That that's. I I thought I was you... all cool and calm. I thought because I was safe inside my house, which is 
well. It, it's got a good perimeter. There are no uh, houses right next to my house. So there's no chance that there's, if, even if I'm standing outside, if somebody goes and coughs in the street that anything is going to fly back. Into me. I mean, think about all of that stuff. And it's just not right. possible because I'm in a good situation like that. Um, so I didn't, I didn't think I had any of that stress. Uh, yeah, it was not stressful like that, but there was a level of stress that was building up over time, watching the news, reading the news. And um, I, I think I have since learned to deal with that in a, in a way. Um, we'll get to that. But for the moment, uh, let's just say that I wasn't prepared for what I experienced. And I didn't know that um, anything was building up. It was just a complete surprise to me also. So it came to a head after, after your brain was processing the migrant issue and all the, the, you know, the horrors and sadness of that situation. Well, it, it could also be because I hadn't slept that previous night. I was also working. Um, so I tend right. to do that. I tend to work overnight. Mix of both. Could be all of that. Um, it, I think it was also probably uh, a factor in me staying up, not going to sleep because it was also that stress of what am I going to do? What, what about work for the future? And all of that stuff building up. Um, so I think... Actually, wait, all of that let's get into was, that. Let's get into that. What were some of the factors you think? Or what are some of the factors mm -hmm. that could be playing on our listeners' minds or on our minds? Like, can you, can you think of some of the issues? I can, I can talk about some of the stuff that my friends are experiencing with regard to work and... Um, you know, uh, just having a job and uh, for those of us who are entrepreneurs and freelancers, what about, um, what about getting work, getting clients, keeping clients in the next six to eight to 12 months? Um, it's stressful. There are lots of people who aren't getting in, in, enough work and um, a lot of people who are having to think about what they're going to do in terms of retooling, in terms of improving their skills, in terms of increasing their marketing to get jobs. Um, and those are all very important concerns. Uh, th those are things that people do need to think about. But I think also um, people need to take a step back and also calm down because you can't, those are all factors outside your control. Um, even getting clients, even if you're advertising, getting clients is basically outside your control at this point in time, right? For most people. I mean, um, not every country, country in the world is facing the same issues, but um, many are. Um, so work, clients, um, the next six months, nobody knows what's going to happen. And most are assuming that it's going to be chaos the economy is looking bad, uh, whichever country you look at. Production is down. Stock markets are up, but that's temporary. That's uh, only because you know, people have excess money at, the, at this point in time because they're not spending as much. They're not going out and spending, so they're putting it in the stock market. But that's likely to come down. Um, it's going to reflect reality. So... Um, what do we do to plan to stay ahead of, uh, I mean, to expect the worst and plan for that? I don't know at the moment. So we'll <laughs> probably get back no, to that. I, at a I, no, I episode. like what you said, because uh, this, what can we control? So for example, retooling is definitely something you can do, but trying to predict what's going to happen in a year is not possible because even the doctors and the medical profession can't, haven't agreed on what's going to happen over the next six months to a year. Um, so, yeah, that is a challenge. What, what are your thoughts about the virus now? It's been months. We have more information about it. Are you, are you afraid? Are you not afraid? What, what's the emotions? What are the emotions around home. that? It's getting closer to home. Hmm. Um, there are people I know and people uh, I know who have relatives and uh, friends who have been affected, who have died of the virus. So it's pretty close. Um, it's 
I think eventually all of us are going to know somebody who's died of the virus. It's, it is that prevalent at the moment. Um, ICMR might think that it's not yet in. Uh, Can I share what you said? Can I share what that, the, the, the uh, caption to that forward uh, was? Yeah. So Sushil sends Please. me this, this, this uh, article about the ICMR saying that COVID is not yet at the community trans, uh, transmission phase. And his, so she was captioned was, rare. What, the article yes, says it's uh, transmission is very, very rare. rare. And so, so she was captioned uh, to that article was, what have they been smoking? Seriously. And uh, both my parents who are doctors started laughing when I shared that uh, with them because they completely agreed. <laughs> All right. Interesting yes. to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I, I don't, it's become so politicized that you can't really uh, trust the numbers anymore. Um, and if me, a person who's kind of isolated, I don't have many friends, I don't have a large circle. If I um, know at least four people who have relatives who have passed away due to COVID, you, I mean, straight away, you know that the numbers are much larger than what is being recorded. And at this point, I think... Um, the stats say 300 or something like that in Chennai. Um, right. um, uh, deaths, deaths, not cases. Deaths due to COVID. And um, I believe there was a test which was uh, uh, a study which was done, which took uh, blood samples. And they said that actual number is probably between 15 and 30% uh, in most communities, most cities in India. And the numbers are supposed to be, they expect the actual numbers to be about 100 to 200 times the, uh, the official numbers. Let me throw in two bits of anecdotal evidence mm -hmm. um, to, to add to the drama about these numbers. Uh -huh. One, doctors are asking when uh, relatives die, people die, doctors are asking their relatives, do you want this to be recorded as a COVID death or not? Oh, they gosh. are given that choice. choice. Because if Why? it's recorded as a COVID death, you can't go for the funeral. <sighs> the body's just taken away. And then you will be under quarantine after that. So to avoid that, you can now say not a COVID death. So that's not going to be reported. And two, even before this crisis, a huge percent of the population was dying without a death certificate. Mm. So you're in some rural area, you bury the uh, body wherever you want. No ulterior motives. There's no foul play. It's just how things work. Yeah. So numbers are definitely so being underreported. I, I guess that we will never know the true uh, scale of the COVID uh, incidents as well as the deaths across India. Um, yeah, but again, let's bring this background to how you and I are dealing with it. Um, I've kind of disconnected. I, uh, dip in to the news now and then I look into it. I see what Donald Trump is doing. I see what America is doing. I see what our prime minister Modi is doing, Amit Shah. And then I back out. I come back, I watch Netflix. I... Very, very important point. And I want to ask you about that because my relationship with the news, mm -hmm. uh, we're not on good terms at the moment because it's whenever you turn it on, there's so much negativity. And I want to talk about this because it seems that you have to strike a balance between running away from it, which is what I do by default, but also being aware of what's happening so that you can make yes. decisions when the time yes. comes. I think that's important. Um, so I don't watch the news on television at all because our television news hosts are pathetic. Um, I, I instead just go to um, some of the major news websites. Um, I prefer to read articles um, or uh, I don't go to Facebook all that much now because it's just a stream of news articles and people saying, BJP this, uh, COVID that, and uh, all of that stuff. So I've kind of given up on Facebook. I do dip in to share some stuff that I found. But um, so I'm backing off on those two platforms. Uh, 
news in general and Facebook. Um, tw- oh, tw- oh, gosh, Twitter also is pretty crazy for news. Yes, I, I don't really spend too much time on Twitter. <laughs> but I found that that was important. That was really important because that was feeding the loop of me being depressed and stressed and uh, uh, finding things out of my control because it was all out of my control. The CAA protests, the fires, the um, um, all of that stuff. So Twitter, stay away from that. Dip in for a short while, maybe once in two days. Facebook, maybe once in two days. Spending more time on Netflix, on um, work, uh, learning stuff. Uh, I've also got another hack to add, which is find someone who is interested in the news and is following things and get them to give you a summary and answer your questions. Because what that does is it cuts out the emotional component. Right. When I watch, for example, migrants and their struggles like you, I'm hit and it almost debilitates me. Yeah. But when I, when I ask my dad, so what's the issue about the migrants? Or I ask my friend Chandu, who we're going to be having on in a bit. Uh, when I ask him for information, he sort of is able to give me the facts and uh, a bit of analysis. It's almost mm-hmm. like an editorial, mm-hmm. but I don't have to go through that anxiety. I don't know if that's necessarily a, always a good thing. Maybe it's good to go through some of that anxiety. I haven't... Uh, I haven't thought about that, but it definitely does help uh, with what we're discussing. That is the balance yeah. of keep staying informed, but not being overwhelmed. Yeah, I, I don't think it's good to be in a state of stress um, all the time, even if it's uh, at a level that you don't even recognize, um, both for physical reasons as well as you know, just uh, not being able to actually think about stuff the right way. Um, it, it, I've realized that for me, at least it, uh, changes the way I think about stuff. Um, yeah. And, um, that's definitely stress. I mean, that adds also stress to the situation because you don't know, you have to second guess yourself. Uh, it's actually interesting. One of the, uh, side effects of this podcast is that, uh, you and I chat, um, at least twice a week. Mm-hmm. once to just discuss strategy and once to record. Yeah. And uh, I found that it's a useful tool to get feedback on how I am. Because like I said, a lot of the time when I'm stressed, I don't realize that I'm stressed and, and so you describe the same thing. So how do you, so when I talk you to you, uh-huh. when I talk to you and you share what you're feeling, the tone of your voice, the pace at which you're speaking, the mm-hmm. topics whatever we're talking about, the, the aspects that you find interesting, right. all give me subtle feedback as to how I'm feeling. Because I'm matching my emotional state to yours. So, for example, I'll give you a very concrete thing. The earlier podcast we did, oh, actually, we haven't aired it. We may never air it, but uh, someday, let's see. Sushil and I had this conversation about the feedback we got from the COVID podcast that we did with my dad. This is the first time we really went public with our work. And we got some really useful feedback, but it hit me slightly harder than it hit Sushil because he's used to working in groups and getting feedback on a regular basis. And I realized how hard I was hit by this by talking to you, uh, Sushil, because the way you were discussing the, 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 the suggestions we got, was very different emotionally and even intellectually than the way I was approaching it. Mm-hmm. So as I heard you go through the same points that I had read, but react to it differently, it suddenly struck me that, hey, wait, 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 wait. You're not, um, uh, you, Rohan, me, uh, are perhaps taking this slightly too seriously. Mm. Uh, so to connect it with COVID, for example, if I talk to someone and I'm like, oh my God, the migrants, it's horrible what's happening in this nation and I don't know what to do and uh, any of us could die at any point and my family members could die. If my mind well, starts that's spiraling. that's all true, but yeah. All true, but if the person I'm talking to says, absolutely, so um, what, what hand sanitizer are you using when you come back home and how often do you wash, wash your mask? And that immediately tells me he or she is thinking practically. Yes. Okay, all these amorphous fears are there what can we do right now? 
uh, that's feedback for me that, you know what, maybe I should be focusing on other things. Maybe all of this is real, but is it time to switch into problem solving more? Um, you see what I mean? Uh, at least that's I, I how prefer, I see I it. I prefer that mode um, to most issues uh, because then it gives you something to actually do, right? You get right. to think about things and see what you can do to make it better. Yeah. Now, <laughs> something that definitely uh, you and I have to talk about, middle-class privilege. Um, <laughs> because we get to record a podcast in the, mis- in the middle of a, of a COVID pandemic. Uh, and we and will, it brings up... We will an- probably also record in the midst of, the, uh, of an economic crash, economic crisis. Yes. Uh, whether so, we got work or not. And that yeah. is privilege. So let's throw something new in. Life must go on. This is something you and I said almost simultaneously. Yeah. But it's something worth bringing up, right? In the midst of a crisis, if you have the luxury, should life carry on? Or is it your duty to stop life and start helping the people in need? Good question. Very good question. Um, I have seen people who have uh, made a huge difference. There's a guy called uh, uh, Srini. Um, I don't know him personally. I've met him once at the end of a marathon. I was, uh, I was not running. I was not running. But I met him at the end of a marathon. He runs a lot of marathons. Um, but he has um, r- really done something practical with his privilege. Um, so, you know the migrant trains, right, that are going out from Chennai? Every right. single train, he meets the people over there and he has coordinated with his friends and contacts, people he, he knows, uh, who he has connected with over Instagram. Gives each of those families bread, glucose, water, uh, a toy for the kids to play with, um, some sweets, all sorts of stuff like that. And this is all donated by people. Um, and he has made sure that people who are going out actually have food. And it, the, some of the stories are really horrible. People going out on these trains, the trains getting lost, people not having food, people dying on the trains because they don't have food, because they don't have water. All the stations are closed, so there are no vendors at the stations to um, buy from. They don't have money even if they do want to buy. So um, another thing he described was um, how two uh, tea sellers had come to the station to sell tea. And there were all these migrant laborers over there, but they were hesitant hesitant to buy because they didn't know whether they would need that five rupees, 10 rupees to buy something later on, but they wanted that tea. He could see that. And he was telling um, the story of how he, uh, somebody else or him, I'm not sure. Somebody said, uh, you know, just give them tea, I'll pay for it. You know, so um, they were all given tea and that's become a feature. So people have contributed to that cause. That's helped the tea sellers. They've gone from, he showed uh, their, um, they had 650 rupees in their bank account. Now it's at like 77,000 rupees because people have pitched in to uh, buy tea for these laborers. So these people, I mean, everybody's been helped. Um, from this. And so he has used his privilege and that kind of goes to say how much of a, it speaks about his, um, the way he thinks and the way he uses his platform. Um, Would I be able to do it? I don't think I would have the courage to do it. Um, I'm just not that, um, what's the word? Courageous, yeah. Um, okay, here's because, a suggestion. First of all, you mm-hmm. need to be able to act on that. It's something that I probably won't. But, you know, there are people who are actually doing it. And, um, and there are ways to help them. 
I think that if we have the uh, privilege to be able to sit over here and not have the same level of concern, yet be worried about these people, it probably makes sense to help the people who are actually doing something about it, right? So let's do that then. On air. How about we have Srini on next time? Would he agree? I'll check. Let's see. We'll, we'll I think this would be something. Yeah. I think let's see how these two uh, privileged boys can use their privilege because I think it would definitely be. I think a lot of people want to help. We just don't know how. And it's probably best to just start somewhere. So having Srini on would be somewhere, right? Sure, sure. Let's do that. Let's see if he will come on. Right. It'll be, it'll be useful. I'd love to hear about his stories. Um, yeah, so, so I guess what we're coming to would be life does go on, so it's not either or, right? You don't, you don't give up everything you're doing and go and, go and help. You could, but it doesn't you have could. to be like that. But at the same time, because another thing we have to both uh, describe is how easy it is to just withdraw, right? Withdraw mm-hmm. from the world. You, if we wanted to, can't always do it, but you could, we could spend the day just doing our work, reading our books, doing our podcasts, and forget about the world around us. Yeah. That's not ideal either, it's right? Not, it's not. So it's that, it's that balance that makes a difference. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's something that you need to be aware of. And um, is, you can't ignore stuff that's going on outside, uh, whether it's just outside your gate or the other end of the city or the other end of the country. Yeah. Right. We, I've also got to bring up an emotion. So we've covered anxiety, fear, uh, emotional numbing, um, confusion because of just the, no one's agreeing on what we should be doing or what we shouldn't be doing. But funnily enough, I was thinking about this. There's also a little hope because at least for me, the hope is may never happen, but the hope is that we can learn from this. We, not just individuals, but uh, however slowly it happens, larger level organizations, maybe not government, but uh, civil society, um, groups that are, you know, NGOs, groups that are are bringing about change, hospitals, things like that. Maybe, maybe we could have a a systemic change. Um, That would be interesting if it could happen. This might be the cynical part of me, but I think uh, change is happening, but for the worse. Okay. Uh, Because organizations that are used to taking advantage of the system are taking much greater advantage. More advantage. And um, it is worsening the system. It's not making it better. Unfortunate, but um, yeah, that's also part of what we need to um, act to prevent. Right. Right. Yeah. It would be worth having an expert on here as well to see, uh, to find out if these changes if there are any positive changes, because it seems to me that we have the opportunity right now to prepare for or get our systems in place for if there's a second wave, which many people say will happen, mm-hmm. um, or if we sort out COVID-19 and uh, COVID-22 comes along, uh, yeah. it, would, uh, it would be, yeah, it would be interesting to see that. One definite change is the way that, in, in the sense of hope, again, this is a certain segment of society that benefits. The switch in the way of we function. So a lot of uh, my friends have talked about their workplaces mm-hmm. deciding to have a proportion of their staff work from home forever, even after this, because it's saving money and they're actually uh, counterintuitively being more productive when no one is breathing down their neck. Well, uh, I'll, I'll uh, comment on that. So basically... Uh, a lot of IT people have been saying that they've been pressured into working longer hours because they're not commuting. So they're more stressed out uh, because of work. They're worried that they might lose their job. So they have to work more. They have to perform better. They're spending more time 
later nights, starting off earlier in the morning, unable to spend time with their family, even though they're at home. So it's not necessarily a better situation for everyone because working at home. So I've found a bunch of my friends saying, I can't take this anymore. I really need to get back into office. So do you think that is more of a case of setting boundaries and negotiating a new work style? So bosses saying you are not, you're not on call 24 hours a day. These are the working hours. And outside these working hours, communication stops just like they would if you were coming into the office. No. So what's happening is obviously their bosses want to perform better, right? Um, Because if they don't perform well, it's their job on the line. So they put pressure on their subordinates. Let's get more done. Let's have higher targets. Let's sell more. Let's finish more. Let's perform better. And that, I mean, they're like, they're obviously not going to talk about, hey, make sure that you stop working at this time of day. Um, I know that my sister who works in HR is working much more than she would normally. She's uh, working from home, but she's having to plan out stuff and uh, uh, help the organization. So that's taking a toll on her. It's, uh, and uh, it's, it's stressful for and you don't when you think, have targets that you need to perform, that you need to... Right. But, but do you think it's possible that at some point, uh, managers realize that working more doesn't mean getting more done? I or don't think so. Is that unlikely? No, Not in India. Won't happen. Not in India. Some enlightened okay. companies will, yes. And they'd be like, uh, okay, um, don't stress perform better, but hmm. you know, all of that stuff. Right. But right. most companies are going to be like, hey, are you working for this long? I need to see this you know, minimum of how many hours and let's get a lot of work done. They want to see results also. So it's going to be a little difficult. Um, not everybody is going to be able to uh, benefit out of working from home. Right. Higher stress. Right. What's next for you over the um, next uh, month or so? A- any I've, plans? I've been a little lucky, actually, um, probably because of the way um, my company is positioned. Um, I've actually been getting a few more inquiries than normal. So I've been a little busy with work in a good way, uh, been able to set my own terms. Um, so that's good. But we, I don't know whether that's going to last um, for the next six months or three months. So just trying to uh, figure out what other stuff I can do to keep working even while there's no real uh, external jobs coming in. So um, I have a couple of ideas that I'm executing on. Um, let's see what happens on that front. Uh, I don't want to talk about it right now because I don't know whether I'll actually execute properly. Happen. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I, think, you? I think you're right. Because even for me, the clients I have right now are going steady, but three months down the line, six months down the line, I have no idea what their situation is going to be, which will then affect my situation. So yes, yes it's, going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how things unfold. <clears throat> are we ready to listen to a psychologist take on the issue of uh, COVID and emotional... Uh, issues. So our guest today is Aniruddha George. He is a childhood friend of mine, but he is also a psychologist with uh, over a decade of experience. So he did his bachelor's in psychology at St. Xavier's in Mumbai, did his master's degree in psychology at Surana College in Bengaluru, and went on to do an MPhil in Nimhans, the National Institute for Mental Health and Neurosciences. He's now a practicing neuropsychologist at the Christian Medical College in uh, Velur. And so we thought it would be useful to get him to share not only his personal experiences and emotional reaction to COVID, but also his psychological analysis of what happens to us in periods of stress like this. So it should be good. Hope you enjoy. What is, uh, what's your journey been like, man, Chandru? 
I journey. Um, uh, I don't know if I've been anxious particularly. Um, I think uh, so. For me, I mean, generally life is also slightly different. Um, the way that most people engage with it, I guess, um, in the sense that uh, because of my work. Uh, it's, I, uh, uh, yeah, I guess the way to put it is I am so, I think uh, generally I am an anxious person, but for COVID, I don't think I've been too anxious. Um, maybe because it, it doesn't seem, I think there may be two reasons for that. One is that it doesn't seem so real because nothing has affected me personally so far. None of my friends, none of the people that I really know about or are really close to have been uh, found to be COVID positive. Um, so then the numbers and all the reports are just uh, kind of very abstract and um, are happening to other people in a sense. Um, that's one part of it. Uh, I think the other part of it is the fact that um, I don't know. I was I was thinking about it the other day, and uh, to me, it seems to a certain extent. I think I am very very aware that my life is not uh, as predictable or controllable as as one would assume. I think. Um, and that's simply because of my day-to-day -day work. Um, and so uh, I, uh, because of the kind of people that I interact with on a day-to-day -day basis, um, and a lot of them are in very uh, improbable situations. So for example, people with brain tumors or people who you know, had an accident and then had brain damage, people who contract uh, diseases um, sometimes, you know, just a fever and then it goes on to become like an encephalitis where the uh, brain basically um, uh, has an immune reaction to the fever, I mean, uh, or something like that. And, and that permanently changes the way the brain functions. So these are all very improbable situations in real life, in normal life. But for me, that's the everyday um, experience. So I only deal with these kind of people. So um, to me, I think in, in a sense that way, um, uh, the, the, I, the probabilities are slightly different or skewed in my head, I think. So um, uh, from that point of view as well, I think it, 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 uh, it sort of seems uh, slightly different, I think. Uh, so and that's why maybe I'm not. You are, um, uh, you are dealing with worst case scenarios in everyday life, basically. Right, right. You know, from so, a health point of view, yeah, definitely a health social. So coronavirus is not that big a deal, actually, for you. Probably. Um, yeah, I mean, in the sense that it is, it is one among so many others. Right. And, and since I am, you know, dealing with them on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, it's it's almost a toss up as to what what you could get, right? right. Uh, are you going to be in an accident, or are you going to be uh, develop a tumor, or are you going to, you know, um, have your immune system attack your brain, uh, or are you going to get coronavirus? These are all just, I mean, almost equally uh, probable uh, in that sense. So I think that's a very skewed. Um, so in that case, let, uh, I should probably ask you, how do you deal with uh, these probabilities on a daily basis? Um, I think to, uh, to some extent, as with I think all um, people who deal with uh, difficult situations, you disconnect, you detach your emotions uh, to some extent. I mean, that's the only way you can um, or at least that's thought to be the most effective way of being able to help these people um, by 
you know, sort of distancing your emotions. And so then you become very practiced at that over time um, that you can very uh, easily, in fact, it, it almost becomes reflexive. Even in times when you do need your emotions, you, you tend to uh, detach from them um, very easily. Uh, but that's, that's one aspect of it. I think that that's one of the ways in which you deal with it on a day-to-day basis. Um, and honest, uh, and the other way, at least that I deal with it, I don't know if other people deal with it that way, is I think a more, um, a greater acceptance of the fact that these are, these can happen and do happen to a lot of people. Uh, in, in the sense that um, while my worldview is sort of skewed to think of more improbable things as probable, right? I think that's uh, when you look at quote-unquote normal people living normal lives, you, they, their worldview would be skewed in the other direction, mm-hmm. um, where you know things that are improbable are, are almost become negligible, um, you know, and you sort of ignore them. Um, whereas I, I, I go to the other extreme. So um, to my mind, I think also this sort of uh, in a weird kind of way makes me much more appreciative of, of how uh, simple things and normal things are um, good. I mean, or appreciate them um, for what they are as they're going along. So, right. yeah. We uh, also talked about, and this is, I think, so Chandu is a psychologist, but he's also, um, he thinks about stuff uh, uh, slightly differently to a lot of people I know. Um, so I'd be interested on hearing uh, your opinion on our middle-class privilege when it comes to something like uh, COVID and Corona, because we've talked about this, right? How, right. Uh, how you engage with the situation, things like social distancing, um, wearing right. masks changes. And you've put forward the idea that a lot of these concepts are, uh, actually, why don't I let you explain uh, when right. it comes to how social distancing applies to someone who lives, for example, uh, in a tiny house with a huge uh, family. Right. I mean, I, I can't say that I'm an expert. I mean, and all, a lot of this is that the problem with privilege is that we are so embedded in it. That's very difficult to get a very good view of it from inside. Um, so it's only from reading, you know, the experiences of other people um, who don't have this privilege or who uh, are in a context outside of it and therefore can look at it in a, in a sense that, uh, you get some idea of it or that I've got some idea of it. Um, so it's a, these are definitely not my ideas. They're, they're just um, my learning as I go along. Um, so one of, I think, the, the greatest um, sort of ideas that were being put forward um, or sort of struck me was um, when I was looking at... Um, I think it was the Guardian uh, website, and they had these when the coronavirus just hit, um, and when it was you know sort of spreading, they had this uh, uh, basically this gallery. I mean, they they come out with various photo collections, um, so just either you know on a particular topic, say you know like uh, just collections of uh, photojournalist submissions uh, for a particular day, maybe around the world. So one photo from one country, another photo from another country, you know, sometimes they're random collections, but then they, they have some collections that have a particular topic running through it. And um, in, I remember in the beginning of this, uh, I mean, as the COVID virus was spreading, one of the collections they had was the various uh, slums in various countries, right? Um, so they had Dharavi in, in, in Mumbai, they had some slums in Bangkok and, and a few other places, right? And the pictures really 
give you an idea of just what uh, a luxury physical space is right like they had a picture of a guy whose uh, house was basically you know um the size of your bed right he had a box uh, that size and that was where all his belongings were and that's where he stayed and this was in the middle of a slum right so um the question of how long can you expect him to sit in there you know and what is his experience of sitting in there um i, I think that's that's a very good question to to think about you know like um when you have a three bedroom flat or a two bedroom flat or even a one bhk right um the experience of that is very very different from uh you know almost living on top of another person right and when you say lockdown and for how long right uh it's it's not for nothing that you know solitary confinement is now thought to be a form of you know a uh, violation of human rights right um so if you can think of it that way i think then it really brings into contrast uh, the different experiences you would have as you know say a person who has a flat even if you are stuck in a small flat with your family versus uh, people who are stuck in say you know this kind of a box right Uh, and you are basically forcing them to live there 24/7 for you know um however long you decide is okay right um so i think these are the things that we don't um we don't really uh get a perspective on usually unless from outside so th- that was something that really really struck me and that that's when you know the idea of one you know um isolation and and you know sort of staying at home lockdown that came to the fore and then you know even if you think about physical distance right we have a luxury of thinking in terms of space and 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 uh, you know distance you know keep, keeping 6 feet or whatever right because in our house you have that much space um and your neighbor is you know far enough away that you can think of these spaces but uh when you know the, your neighbor lives you know maybe 5 uh, feet above your above you i mean standing height right uh and uh you are staying in this small room with you know three other people five other people um and they are staying you know with with three or four other people and your wall is is the thickness of a plywood board right then uh, these sort of things become very very uh, different i think and that, that and that yeah that that to me is strange yeah so there's this the um, the luxury of keeping that social distance and the lifestyle that different people can follow based on how much cash and your status in society uh that's an issue do you think we have a responsibility to use our privilege and to help other people because that's the other thing uh, sushil and i were talking about earlier um with the luxuries we have should we be saying well life goes on and carry on with our lives or should we be stopping and doing something um i think to expect everyone to do something and stop and um you know uh do something if that would be you know, i mean it would be great if everyone could i guess but um there are costs to all of that you know um and i think as long as we can keep that in mind and do something once in a while right uh, the people who can do more doing more and the people who you know can't do so much doing a little um i think that that is the best uh, that's uh, that uh, we can hope for i think um and that's i think much more doable if we put it in that 
that frame. Because at the end of the day, I think one of the problems with privilege is that um, by necessity, if you are going to have to do something, you're going to have to uh, give up some of your privilege. Right? Um, and that's not something that is easy to do and not very many people would do it. Right? I think there's a visceral reaction to that. Can you give us an example of something? So, for example, like, um, let's say, let's say something as simple as um, now, uh, if you, if you take a, a normal house, uh, you know, um, uh, a maid who works there, right? Uh, for you to um, be uh, mindful of your privilege would be to probably support her you know her more during this time which means give her more not just give her more money but you may have to help her travel uh, at certain points in time because there is no transport right um, you may um, have to provide certain provisions because it's not just about having money in the bank right if you if you give her money in hand that doesn't mean she can buy the provisions she can, she may not have the time like because if she's working in your house the whole day when is she going to go to the shop and buy certain you know um, items so are you going to have the the mental space to buy some items for her when you go shopping um, and and things like that so i think there are um, so in in order to do that, you would have to, you know, constrain your convenience. You would have to constrain your your um, ability to uh, restrict your thinking only to yourself um, and your perhaps your family uh, alone, right? Uh, and perhaps uh, be okay with uh, being a little inconvenienced every once in a while. Um, so. That would be a very, you know, small and, and practical way in which uh, we're talking about, you know, sort of constraining your privilege, right? Um, so, for example, if after you come back from a long day, right, you have to go and, and drop your, your maid off at home, right? And that's, uh, you, you're going to have to give up your free time a little bit. To, to take that drive and, and uh, you know, and in a city it would be even more inconvenient in the sense that, you know, you may have to travel as much more uh, distance, you may have to, you know, go to areas that are not very comfortable uh, and things of that. Uh, so I think that is sort of what I mean, of, of course, on a smaller scale, but uh, mm. that's sort of what I was do you think you probably, well, it may be personality, but do you think you probably wrestle with this slightly less because of the kind of work you do, which largely involves helping people and in CMC helping people who are uh, perhaps poor? Yeah, I think so. And I think, it, yeah, so I think, I mean, I, I would put it in a different way that I am privileged in that sense as well in the sense of uh, that, uh, for example, like because of the institution that we, that I work in, that because one of CMC's, you know, um, primary goals and aims is to uh, subsidize healthcare and support the community and things like that. These are uh, very uh, openly stated goals and therefore as long as you're working towards that goal, no one can um, criticize you and this in no way you know uh, has any effect on your uh, promotions, your your salary none of these things right? whereas if you're working for a very clearly profit you know uh, only uh, enterprise right? so say a company that, that is uh, basing its salaries and and, and promotions on how much profit it makes, right? Then it's a very different kind of situation where 
unless you are making them profit right unless you are contributing to profit then you are almost working against the organization right so you then you know spending your your time at work you know like volunteering or doing something like that is is uh, going against the organization and they are going to then you know have ways of you know disciplining you or, or coercing different kinds of behavior um and you do, and you may not have the kind of security that you know that the kind of job security that you would have in this kind of an institution where you know it's accepted that you you do sort of you know a socially oriented work that's part of your job description so um you can do that to a great extent and 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 there's not going to be any threat to your job whereas you know if you say let's say you're working for a small you know say uh a small business like say uh uh internet service uh, or in as some kind of small software company right they have no no real interest i mean the business itself is not geared towards uh social causes unless they are an ngo or something like that that works in that area right they are uh, they are basically built for profit right so if you are then spending you know your time being socially minded and things of that during work they are going to have a problem with that and then it can threaten your job which means threaten your income all of those things so um i would look at it in in the way that it's basically i mean i would i would look at that also as privilege and that's privilege for me that um, mm. you know i have i don't have to think about these things i, I my mind is free to to you know sort of think socially uh, and be socially minded whereas for a lot of people life is not that like that and can be quite cutthroat and if you don't do it you may get in trouble right it seems that you're very aware of these um this privilege but for a bunch of reasons many of which you've explained i i'm not picking up any guilt right a lot of people with privilege would have guilt do so, you have the survivors guilt i have the privilege they don't so dot 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 um i to some extent i think but um i think part of the problem is that i mean as a part of the the thing that a lot of people face is is that paradox okay uh where, where basically at one point in time you know like on one side um you didn't ask for this privilege right even very often you're born into it and then you sort of you know um you, you sort of gravitate it towards directions which which help your privilege and 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 you know like uh, connections that give you jobs and you know you didn't ask for those connections they may be uh, your parents connections your family connections those kind of things right so um on the one hand you didn't ask for all of this but on the other hand your your sort of uh, the idea of privilege uh, sort of comes with you having to feel bad about it. right so i think a lot of people are caught between that that uh, sort of uh, paradox right and um, so uh, to feel both ashamed and to feel like this is not my fault either is is a difficult thing and that's why i think a lot of people react uh, so um, uh, so in such different ways when you when you're talking about privilege i think um but uh, to me i think i or at least i've sort of the way my thinking has has moved is is sort of bringing me to places where i can uh, at least try and hold both sides of the paradox at be aware that um i i there is more um expected of me considering my privilege so you know there could be more way 
and I should be thinking about those. And um, it is not fair that I have privilege and someone else doesn't just by dint of birth or, or whatever, right? But at the same time, you know, to also understand that uh, that's not necessarily a criticism of me um, because I, I didn't personally ask for this, right? Um, this is something I was just given. Um, it's like, you know, winning the lottery, right? Um, and so there's only so much um, I need to feel ashamed about it, right? Um, as long as I'm trying to use the privilege to help those people who, who don't have it, um, that's, that's the best I can do, I guess, you know, until someone I... teaches me different. Different. Um, yeah. So maybe we can uh, wrap up by putting you on the spot and asking you to put on your psychologist cap right. for people out there who are worried or anxious. What right. what could they do to sort of help themselves? Um, I think. Well, I mean, uh, my approach would be to to think about the fact that in most cases when we are anxious or when we are worried, we are thinking about something way into the future, right? What will happen if this happens? What will happen if, you know, um, it all goes bad, right? Um, so one of the problems with, with worry is that you're thinking so far into the future into things that you have no idea about, no real control about, right? And that feeds back into the fact that you are powerless and you are, you know, you can't control anything. So to me, one of the ways, I mean, one of the sort of practical ways in which you could help yourself would be to think about the here and now and what it is that you can be doing to make yourself safer, to be taking the right decisions, you know, making sure you're getting the right information, right? So what is it practically that you can do, right? So can you build a habit to wash your hands, you know, as, as uh, necessary, for example, you know, whenever you come out, come in the house from outside, you, you make it a habit to wash your hands, um, you know, uh, wear a mask whenever you are going out, um, make sure your mask is, you know, cleaned regularly. These are, you know, uh, very sort of concrete steps that you can take on an everyday um, basis. And, and I think if you can focus your mind on these concrete steps, you're basically building up to the future, right? So the more you do these small things properly, the less chance there is for whatever you're afraid of in future happening. Um, so looking at it that way, I think, you know, uh, if you could focus on that, what can you do now? And what, what, I mean, and more than what can you think about now, what can you do now, right? Actions that you can take that keep you safer. Uh, I think that may uh, help some people, hopefully. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that definitely is a good takeaway. Acknowledge the fear, acknowledge the uncertainty, acknowledge the privilege, acknowledge all those things, and then come back to the present, right? What can yes. I do? What steps yeah. can I take yeah. without catastrophizing? Yeah. And to be okay with taking small steps. I mean, no one is asking you to, you know, go out there into the front line and, you know, put yourself in harm against COVID or anything like that. You don't have to do that. You right. just have to make sure that you're being safe, right? It's just a small thing, you know, washing your hands is a small thing. Making sure you wear your mask is a small thing. So I think, you know, small things done well, right? Uh, add up. And being okay with doing the small thing and focusing on the small things, I think is is at least a, a good way that I find that that calms me down when I am, you know, when my mind starts sort of 
whirling and going off into the future. Um, just small, small steps that I can take right now. Uh, even the simplest ones. If, if I am really anxious, then I narrow it down to the most simplest thing I can do right now. Right? Um, and the uh, easiest thing that I can do right now. And then go from there. Right. Small things done well. Perfect takeaway, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. I think that's a good point at which to uh, wrap up. Thank you so Perfect. much. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, no Chandu. And uh, we, I'm sure we'll have you back as yes, you can certainly. be our uh, uh, technical support. What, what do they call it when they have uh, these new channels have correspondence that they call in for specific issues? You can be the show's uh, psychologist, resident <laughs> psychologist that we call yeah. in. What's your take on these, uh, <laughs> on this yeah. aspect? Yeah, as long as it's just psychology and not, you know, anything else. Great, great. Yeah. Okay, man. Take yeah. care. We will wrap up for now. Yeah, I found an interesting um, uh, point in what he, what uh, Chandu was talking about in um, taking it step by step, breaking it down into uh, components. And that's basically how I tackle um, any task. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that uh, he, he suggested uh, you know, just break it down to the simplest parts, what you can do, stuff that is in your control and um, tackle that and then get to the bigger pieces um, when you get to it. Right. So interesting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I agree. So uh, we can uh, wrap up for now, folks, and we will catch you next time. Uh, same place, same channel, and uh, with uh, lots more fun stuff. Sushil, how, how can they find us, find out more about us, that sort of thing? So as always, we're on slidingthosepodcast.com. You can find us also on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook. Sliding those PC, I believe, on Twitter and sliding those podcast on Instagram. Um, we also have our Instagram, own Instagrams and um, Twitters and all of that stuff. Uh, Rohan is Rohan tries thinking. Is that correct, Rohan? Yes, and Rohan tries I am Sushil02 on Instagram, both of us on Instagram. And um, thank you for listening. It's been uh, lovely uh, being able to share this stuff with you. Let us know what you think and uh, please give us your feedback. It is very valuable. Thanks again. Adios, amigos and amigas. Till next time. Bye-bye.